Welcome into another episode of the MLS Bench Podcast, and this is the one that, you know, the entire regular season has led up to this moment. Decision day was yesterday. Uh, you know, all those winner go home games like we talked about uh, on the last pod went down. So we have so much uh, to discuss on this pod. Very little time to do it. So we'll just hop in. Matt and Andres with me as always uh, to recap, you know, at this point. What was the 2022 MLS regular season? 34 games played out of 34. And it went down to the final game for quite a few teams. And we will start in the East as the day started with the only game that was a true winner go home game. The Orlando City versus Columbus game in Orlando. If Columbus won or tied, they would be through to the playoffs. Orlando needed to win. They fell behind early. And then they got two goals, the second of which was a Facundo Torres penalty in the 84th minute after a VAR review. And Orlando is through the playoffs as the seventh seed. And I'll start with you, Andres. How did you watch this game? How did this one come through for you as Orlando needed to come back? And they did so. And now they they are through to play Montreal in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, thanks, Joey. How's How's it going here for... Another week and now going into playoff mode. Uh, yeah, so I watched this one, uh, I guess, live on uh, on FS1, just uh, just about like everyone else. And I made the decision to, to concentrate on the national TV game. So um, I had my eyes fully focused on this one. But it's interesting, you know, Orlando, you know, obviously they played awful midweek. By the way, we... we the last time we were all together it was right before the midweek game, so we should probably give a shout out to to Miami, who who clinched a, a midweek a spot on that Wednesday against Orlando, where Orlando did not look uh, good at all, um, and they didn't particularly look good uh, in this in this game either, especially for for the majority of the first half. Um, and it's it's one of those things with Columbus where you know they're in my opinion still. Uh, one of the better teams in the league for 75 to 80 minutes um, and the worst team in the league and by far uh, in the last 10, 15 minutes of the game. So you had a you had this feeling and it's been a long time since I felt this way about a team where it didn't really matter what happened uh, the first 75 minutes almost. You kind of knew it was going to come down to to whether Columbus could hold on or not and recent form indicated that they wouldn't and once again they didn't. Uh, with now grave consequences. They needed a draw. They couldn't get it. Uh, they're out of the playoffs and they're without a coach, uh, which we'll talk about more later. So I guess it's not super surprising just because of how it's been going, but it's surprising because of how good I think that team can be and shows itself to be sometimes. Hey, I'm right there with you, Andres. Uh, this this match was like, or both these matches for Columbus were perfect encapsulations of why I think Columbus is one of the most frustrating teams in their in their current iteration. Uh, in the game against Charlotte, they were up 2-0, a goal in the 58th. Um, for Orlando, it was a goal in the 56th to bring one back. And then goals in, uh, a stoppage time goal in the Charlotte game, a goal in the 84th in the uh, Orlando goal, uh, game. This is... 
crazy that they keep on falling apart. And and that's I that's where the the discussion that we'll have about uh Porter being relieved of his duties is going to come up, but just a really really frustrating goal or a game after some really, really great play. Uh, I know Zellerion's little flick to uh, put Etienne in on goal was gorgeous. And Etienne, bless him, also sold his hip to a demon for that one. But uh, that was just... There There was some incredible play, and then they're just... They let it slip through, and it just really frustrating. In Orlando, uh, I just want to say, like... If I told you about a match where it was a really, really important, you know, one to determine their season, um, they were really, really toothless in the in the first half, and then they bring on Benji Michelle and he changes everything. Um, am I talking about this game against Columbus, or am I talking about the game against Sacramento Republic for the Open Cup final? Like it's it, it's crazy that they just cannot find good production up top. If they have that cutting edge then they're going to be able to fly. But I, I just have very, very limited hopes for uh, Orlando through the playoffs at this point. Yeah, and the really interesting thing with Orlando and kind of their season leading up to this point is in the month leading up to Open Cup, and I guess including the Open Cup final, they did not lose a game. And since the Open Cup, they lost four out of five coming into uh, the game versus the crew. So form was not on their side. You would argue... Uh, for at least from a neutral standpoint, that the form was on the cruise side after that crazy win, emotional, right, versus the Red Bulls, but getting the win, getting a week to prepare for an Orlando team coming off an absolute stinker against Miami, right, That and getting that opening goal, knowing that Orlando would have to score not one but two goals if they wanted to make the playoffs, you're in almost the perfect situation. You have your work cut out for you, which is essentially... You know, don't let up a goal for, you know, even in the halftime, right? Don't let up a goal for 45 minutes or don't really let up two goals for 45 minutes and you're in the playoffs. And that didn't happen yet again. I understand what you're saying about, you know, them being a frustrating team. This goal wasn't after the 90th minute. But, you know, the stat is basically a broken record at this point. All the points dropped from winning positions or tying positions after the 90 minute mark for Columbus. It wasn't quite after 90 minutes, but the collapse just in the second half was just, it, it, it cost them a season, and it was almost the perfect encapsulation of their season, which is playing well in the first half, getting the lead, not holding on, and now they're not in the playoffs. I think the, the stat that was getting thrown around a little bit uh, on, or just in MLS circles today, is that they dropped 11 points exclusively in stoppage time. That would put them uh, second in the East. Like, it cannot be overstated how bad of a late-game team this is. It's historically the worst uh, late-game team in in history of the league. Uh, And, you know, if you look at this game in particular, Orlando is playing without their best two center backs. So Janssen's out for the year. And Antonio Carlos was suspended after he clotheslined uh, Bryce Duke uh, midweek. So they're playing with Schlegel as the only natural center back. And João Moutinho, who's a left back, as his center back partner. They've never partnered together, as far as I know. Uh, you're winning on the road. Uh, you've got 
one of the best players in the league, I still think, in Zella Rayon. Uh, a, I forget Cucho. Right, a Premier League striker who's clearly produced, good wingers, um, and a midfield that's super experienced uh, and, and super talented. Why aren't you pushing? And I guess we, you know, this maybe segues into this Caleb Porter discussion, but it is. I'm, I'm with, I'm with Matt. Super frustrating. You saw it again um, in Charlotte. How, how bad they were in the second half and let them back in the game. And we just saw it over and over and over. I don't know what the drop points in the 80th. Uh, Matt mentioned the 11 in the stoppage time, which is a record. It's 24 overall. Um, and in the 80th plus, it's got to be something like 16 or 17. If you cut half of that out, just half your uh, home playoff uh, game in the first round, your third or fourth. So super frustrating if you're a crew fan and totally understandable, I think, unfortunately, uh, the decision today to, to let Porter go. Yeah, it wasn't a decision that came out of nowhere, especially because, you know, he won the cup, right? And deservedly so got some, uh, you know, some insulation last year from what could have happened. He could have gotten fired last year after winning the cup than not making the playoffs. Um, and, but that was a crew team that was riddled with injuries. And deservedly, I think he got another year. He earned himself that uh, another year because of his triumphs. But then, again, to not make the playoffs, this time with all the players healthy, with Artur healthy, with Aiden Morris healthy, you know, and you have Cucho for the second half of the season. Zellerian, for the most part, was healthy. You just, you need to be producing more. This is a team that, and as much you know, we've criticized them over you know the, the course of the season for having these players and not producing. And we have made it clear on this pod, and anywhere in MLS will tell you that yeah, they did produce until the 90th minute. Or you know, like again, if they just held on to like one more lead after the 90th minute over the course of the season, then they would be in the playoffs. This team did enough, and yet consistently, time and again, fell short just before the final whistle. And I'm not going to say that's all on Porter because obviously there's more people involved and he's not on the field playing the games. But at some point, it's just got to be, boys, hang on for another five minutes, you know? And time and again, it costs them. And to a lesser degree, it costs them in this game where, again, if they don't give up that penalty and they hold on for another 15 minutes, then they still are in the playoffs and Caleb Porter is coaching more games with the Columbus crew. Yeah, it's uh, this is it, we know that the the crew are a team that are super super competitive. Like the the ownership group there is wanting to win. They're obviously they built a beautiful stadium downtown. Uh, they put in the investment into the team. I I'm really excited to see what comes next. But yeah, like I think that I was hearing. Um, there's like a million dollar fee to go ahead and get out of Porter's contract. So you know that they are uh, looking to go ahead and come back strong. So I, I think that they're going to be all right, but painful one to miss out this year. Exceptionally painful. But this was another thing that I was thinking of over the course of the game is just Darlington Nagby, right? Especially in, in the first half is just very, very good. You know, like, and just the way he effortlessly seems to do his job there in the midfield 
it makes me sad to see that once again he won't be in the playoffs. And once again, you know, you kind of need that national stage, especially, you know, he's a player on the crew, right? He's not on an L.A. team or a New York team where there is more of this inherent national attention. He needs the playoffs to get that spotlight. Uh, He's not with the U.S. national team. And he will continue to not get that spotlight because he's not in the playoffs. And and yet, you know, he continues to produce year after year after year. Also, you know, Aiden Morris's breakout game was MLS Cup. Where does he go from here? A lot of these players that, you know, with the playoffs, with these, high, you know, high pressure, high intensity games can prove themselves, just won't get that shot this year. Obviously, they're going to be looking to retool after Porter. Uh, and we'll see what happens from that point moving forward. But unless anyone has more on this game, it is a disappointing performance from the crew over the course of the 90 minutes in which they were up and then go back down. And for Orlando, they are back in the playoffs. They will have an opportunity to, you know, avenge some of their recent struggles in the playoffs. They, it won't be easy, right? They're going to be going to Montreal for the first game. And, who knows, right? Especially with Montreal in the form that they are in. But anything is possible in MLS. And if Orlando is able to carry some of that pre-US Open Cup form into the playoffs, we'll see what they can do. So it is 2-1 Orlando. Orlando in at the seventh seed. And Columbus falls short for a second straight year. I do want to move on to another game in the Eastern Conference. That game being Inter-Miami taking on Montreal. In this game... Uh, Inter-Miami, as you mentioned, Andres had already clinched. Montreal needed the Union to not pick up all three. Uh, If they wanted any shot at winning the East, the Union did pick up three in style against Toronto at home. So for Montreal, really, uh, and they knew as the game was going on, they weren't playing for anything. But it was a, especially in the first half, a blowout by Montreal. 3-1 was the final. Montreal was up three at the end of the first half. And Andres, just quickly on this game, anything you want to touch on is, you know, you, you mentioned earlier Inter-Miami making the playoffs, but anything specifically that you want to mention in this game? Uh, no, so like I mentioned, I, I had my eyes on the on the Columbus-Orlando game, so I didn't see this one live. But reading Phil Noble's comments afterwards, um, it seemed like uh, there was, you know, an expected maybe uh, downturn emotionally after after winning midweek. I think... It's for Miami. It's probably pretty lucky that they clinched midweek, because having to play on four days rest back at home against a good team would have been a tough, a tough assignment anyway to have to to get a result to clinch. Um, so I think they had a, a bit of an emotional letdown, uh, and then you could let in two goals in the first ten minutes. Uh, that's that's tough to come back from. I think you know we maybe underrate how much Miami had to play for because. It, it ended up not working out that way due to the other results, but they had a chance at a home playoff game, and they've been one of the best home teams uh, in the league this year. So that would have been a huge, uh, huge difference for them. So, yeah, unfortunate, I think, for them that it kind of worked out that way. Uh, Montreal's a good team, and as we go forward, we're, we'll get into previews, but they're going to play Orlando here at home. That's a really tough matchup for Orlando. I fully expect Montreal to, to go through there. So... Yeah, not not too much on this game specifically, other than in, uh, in general, one of the best turnarounds that I've seen in a long time uh, in MLS for, for Miami having to rebuild from scratch and getting into the playoffs on Henderson's first year is, is really well done. 
Yeah, I uh, was listening to um, Tom Berger's podcast uh, earlier on today, and uh, there were uh, he was talking to Michele Giannone, uh, who is really, really tied into the Miami um, community and has a really, really lot a, a lot of insight. And he said that uh, number one, Phil Neville was his coach of the year, which I think when you think about it, you can really make the case because. I don't think that anybody expected this out of out of this Miami team. Not with the sanctions, not with the fact that they had uh, I didn't even I had to I was reminded about this. They had 22 players leave the club. I think it was something like 30% of their uh minutes played last year were returning this year. Um and I it really then uh there were comments on uh, uh, uh yeah, Pozuelo um, saying that he was leaving one of the worst locker room environments, and he said that he was coming into the best locker room environment in this league. And uh, I, admittedly, you know, I'll take it with a grain of salt. I'd also say that if uh, a club was paying me, but I think that that it shows, and that I think that that's why Iguain is back and playing well. I think that's why you're getting so much uh, development from that youth. I think. There's just Miami got a lot right after having gotten so much wrong. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think with Miami, you know, we've kind of told the story of their turnaround in anticipation that they would be in, but we didn't know uh, in the last pod because if they didn't beat Orlando, it would have gone down to decision day for them as well. But I, I think we kind of already hit on it. You guys hit on it very well. Is just the turnaround, just the rebuilding the culture of that team, and then everything else falling into place. Obviously, Chris Henderson is an amazing front office exec, and bringing guys like Pozuelo, uh, obviously um, c- keeping guys around, and knowing which guys to move on from, knowing that moving on Carranza and Lewis Morgan, even though those were probably tough decisions, were the right decisions in the end. Um and being able to keep and foster some of the youth, right? Noah Allen coming in and playing well enough to earn himself a spot with the U.S. This last, uh, these last couple windows, the U-20 team. Uh, I remember over the summer he was with that team. So seeing some of those guys get developed and moving on and then keeping some of the guys, it, it just really was the perfect build. And it needed to be the perfect build because they had no margin for error with the sanctions. And yet Henderson did a heck of a job uh, with Montreal. I do want to touch on it, you know, very quickly as a home team, very good. One of the best teams in the league, one of the most dependable teams in the league. You know exactly what you're getting for them. I do expect a Montreal win this weekend. I think that they are, you know, outside of fairly the best team in the East. I don't think that there's much debate there. And as long as they do what they are capable of, they will be on. Uh, they will be through to the second round of the playoffs, um, and they played very, very well down in Miami uh, as well. They came out from the jump. The first goal was off a, a goalkeeper turnover, which means that uh, it was Kone, I believe, and Mihailovic were high pressing. They just looked very cohesive as they always do. They always get the most out of their players and very deserving of that second spot uh, in the end. So that's basically all I have on that game. I think the last game that we need to cover in depth is the other team that hadn't officially clinched a playoff spot yet, but got in uh, in style on the road in D.C. FC Cincinnati, a 5-2 uh, 
to two win in the nation's capital. Most of that was a Brenner hat trick in the first half, three goals and an assist for the Brazilian. A heck of a game for him, a heck of a game for the team. They are through. And, and Matt, if you want to touch on Cincinnati in terms of this game, or, you know, I think more importantly, in terms of how it took uh, for them to get here, because, you know, they were one of the uh, wooden spoon contenders preseason. No one expected this. And then punching their ticket really from the first game to the last game. Consistency never really faltered, always stayed either above the line or right there in the mix and deserving, very deserving of the fifth seed in the East. Yeah, I really love this league, guys. Like, I think that if you had asked me before the season started who I thought were going to be the bottom three in the East, I, I almost certainly would have said Cincinnati. Considering the sanctions, I think that I probably would have said Miami. And considering what I think we all thought on talent level was uh, either Charlotte or potentially Montreal. And all three, like all of those teams stepped up in such a major, major way. Um, And Cincinnati for me is the biggest turnaround team I've ever seen in my life. Uh, And I think a lot of it is driven by bringing in those new or that new executive in Chris Albright, bringing in Pat Noonan as the head coach and getting the culture right because it, we know you cannot go through like what six head coaches and not have a cultural problem. They they got it right finally, and then you just have absolute leaders at the very front of that team. In like you were saying, Lucho, in Brenner, in Brandon Vasquez, those guys set the <laughs> they set that competitive angle, and it's just really really fun to watch. This they were dancing on. Admittedly, a very, very bad uh, DC United team, but, you know, still, this is not what we would have expected. And, yeah, a lot of, a lot of credit to Cincinnati. DC uh, has some fun stuff. I'm really excited for um, next year with a full season under Rooney. But, yeah, I, I just I cannot be happier that Cincinnati is in this. Andres, I just, if you could, could you just touch on the roster build? because. It's kind of the perfect roster. You have Brenner, Vasquez, Acosta, all playmakers up top, all kind of came into their own this year. You have guys like in Wobodo in the midfield who are just ballers, who, who will do anything, who win all the 50-50s, that kind of stuff. You have a pretty strong back line, bolstered it throughout the season with guys like Miazga, who played really well coming down the stretch. And then, you know, most of all, finding that keeper that is dependable, that is, a, a, I think, a positive goalkeeper probably when it comes to a, a lot of the advanced metrics. In many ways, you know, coming from last year, it, it was the perfect way to build a roster, kind of filling all those specific roles that needed to be filled. So if you told me now, like, of course I'm not surprised that FC Cincinnati made the playoffs. Andres, what do you think it took to get here? Because... You know, before the season, I don't think many people had them in this, in this position. So how did you kind of see this team evolve and build as a team throughout the year? No, I think you hit it. And, and I think you're right. It took it took basically everything coming together. So it's different aspects. One was a development of the guys that they already had uh, in place. So uh, Vasquez 
uh, Barrial, uh, two that come to mind specifically, huge leaps from, from last season in terms of development. Uh, Brenner, you can argue whether he was already at this level, he just wasn't settled, or whether it, he also took a step forward, or a little bit of both, but obviously production, huge, huge improvement from, from last year, right? So that's, that's one avenue. Then you go out and you specifically find pieces in the areas that they needed. They needed somebody to win the ball in the midfield. Uh, they went out and got a DP in Wobodo who's been excellent for them. They needed help center backs. Um, and they brought in Matt Miazga mid-year. Uh, they got really pretty decent minutes out of a draft pick uh, in Ian Murphy. Uh, so those were areas where they were struggling before that, that they got good production. And then you needed to get kind of lucky. And they were by far the worst goalkeeping team in the league for the last three years. Uh, you you take a flyer on a draft pick, okay, Salentano, with the idea that he's going to be the backup to Khan. Um who they also brought in to try to shore up that position. When Khan gets hurt, Salentano comes in, and then you, you have the courage to keep him in the lineup uh, even after Khan gets healthy again. And he's been really, really good uh, all throughout the season. So you needed uh, all of those different aspects to turn what was a historically bad team for three years into a playoff contender, and here's the result. I think if any of those aspects don't hit, they fall short of the line. Uh, but they put it all together, and it was really well done. You wondered after Chicago uh, last week losing 3-2 if they were going to choke it away, and you know a previous iteration of Cincinnati probably would have, but they show that they were by far the better team here and uh, put it to bed pretty early against D.C. So just really well done, really well constructed, uh, and my hat's off to, to that whole front office and coaching staff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and like you mentioned, you know, there was very little margin for error. You know, coming to this last game, their playoff spot was not secure. If they drop, you know, too many of the points between you know the start of the season until game thirty-three, they wouldn't have been in uh, position on this last day to make the playoffs. But that was the most impressive thing is that if we remember that first game, I think that was the game where they got smoked by Austin in Austin. It wasn't like five nil or something like that. Yep. Five nil loss away to Austin to start yeah. it off. And everybody thought that that just meant, oh yeah, it's Cincinnati again. Right. I, I remember an interview with Chris Bills and we were both very dismissive of Cincinnati. I would like to uh, repent for that at this point, because really ever since that game, they've just been rock solid, right? They haven't won every game, but they've looked positive the entire season. And those guys like Vasquez hit up top very early and made a name for themselves early enough in the season. We know in MLS, a lot of these late pushes and stuff don't always pan out because you leave yourself so little margin for error. And Cincinnati didn't put themselves in a position where they had to recover too much. They were basically always there. Um, and they just never, they never dropped off. That puts them in a position now as the fifth seed because of that win that, uh, and because of Inter-Miami's uh, loss. They will be the fifth seed. They will be going uh, to Hudson to play uh, the New York Red Bulls. And honestly, uh, Matt, I guess I'll start with you. No one would be surprised to see Cincinnati come out of this first round with a win. I certainly wouldn't. Yeah, and this is this is my like marquee matchup because these teams 
know what they want to do, and they just have there's certain absolute winners on each team, and I'm really I personally more uh I I am more confident in the stars in Cincinnati now. I really am. And I just I it all comes down to can those yeah guys, you know, eight to fourteen really keep up that level and you know, is <laughs> is Matt Miazga gonna be able to hold up Lewis Morgan? I, I think that he can. I it's gonna be such a fun match. Uh those teams are just it's it's just banging two action figures together because it's just gonna be physical, it's gonna be a brawl, it's gonna be like five to four, and I think Cincinnati's gonna eke through. Yeah, Andres, you know, obviously we're going to do previews in a bit, but just touching up on the Cincinnati discussion and you know, kind of talking about how they've been so solid, solid as a rock uh, throughout the year with all those pieces that we touched on, those guys who they've come to depend on at this point. A trip to Harrison, New Jersey really doesn't look really daunting right now when you have all those attackers hitting. Would you be surprised to see them walk out with a win? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. Um, I... I think they they might be my slight favorite actually. Uh, Red Bull is not not great at home this season. Uh, one of the best road teams in the, in the league, but not very good home form. Uh, I've watched two Cincinnati Red Bull matches this year. They've both been one one. They've both been kind of you know chippy brawl fest almost with red cards and set piece goals and um, so. It, it's it may not be as open as maybe we we were thinking or the way that I would have. I would imagine, um, I'm not sure who's going to want to be on the front foot there. You'd imagine that Red Bull is going to want to press. Maybe Cincinnati catches them uh, going going forward on a counter or something. We'll see. But no, I wouldn't be surprised. It's definitely one of the, out of the six matches, one of the ones I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, and <laughs> we're talking about this last season, this time. That's just a testament to Cincinnati and the way that they've improved so much in the last year. Uh, to put themselves in this position where, you know, they might be a favorite against the Red Bulls at this point in the playoffs. You know, who who would have imagined? I'm sure we're going to talk more about them in the previews of this upcoming weekend and obviously whenever we do a season recap of Cincinnati. But just exceptionally deserving from almost game one uh, to be where they are right now. The fifth seed, a 5-2 win in D.C. And they are through to the playoffs. That's basically all I want to touch on in the East. Just one note that Philly, like I mentioned earlier, need to win their game against Toronto uh, to be guaranteed that first spot. If they had drawn or lost that game, they wouldn't have been first for what it's worth because Montreal got the job done. But, you know, there's no doubt, especially no doubt uh, when you have Daniel Gazdag, he gets a hat trick and an assist to Aura as well as Philly wins 4-0 to at home. Also, for what it's worth, Philly hasn't lost a game at home all season, uh, and now they have concluded the regular season without a home loss as well. So, as a Philly fan, you know, don't want to jinx it heading into the playoffs, but it is really good home form for the Union, and and again, another key of why they are, you know, that first seed and how they can do in the playoffs as a result. Um, that that home home field advantage is just going to be so crucial for Philly. In any other season, I think that you would be talking him about him as 
an absolute MVP contender. And it's only for the sake of two other guys, maybe, uh, you know, three in like a Lucho, but like he has had an incredible season, 28 goals and assists. It's only behind Mukhtar and it's just been really, really good for him. He's had a huge step up this year. So, uh, it's, it's a bummer that, you know, two other guys are really eating up all the oxygen, but I think in any other season, MVP contender. I mean, I think he's an MVP contender this season. I think he's just one of three. In other seasons, he would be one of one. But I, I think a vote for Mukhtar, Gazdag, or Driussi at this point wouldn't be undeserved. Like, you can 100% back up your decision going with any one of those three just because of what they've meant to their team and individual production as well in terms of what they're doing on the scoreboard. Um, hard to argue with any of those three. Uh, we can move to the West now because two of those three winner-go-home games were in the West. And I'll start with the uh, one that featured the two higher seeds. Uh, Portland entered as the sixth seed. RSL entered as the eighth seed. And at the end of the day, RSL was the seventh seed and Portland was the eighth seed. RSL gets the win at home, three goals to one. And they are through to the playoffs, knocking out Portland. So... Portland, a, a stalwart when it comes to playoffs, a, a team that made MLS Cup last season, they are out. And RSL, the you know, perennial underdogs, find a way to sneak in on the last day once again. Andres, I'll start with you. How did you see this game play out? And are you surprised at all to see RSL go through? You could say RSL is a stalwart of the playoffs too. They're, they're in now four out of the last five years, uh, which is really impressive considering um you know not only their budget constraints and and their media market quote unquote but also the change in ownership and all the all that franchise has gone through in the last couple years uh to be in for four to five years pretty 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 good for for our so um am i surprised look i think uh portland was pretty awful in this game there was uh, a couple of strange decisions in terms of the 11 that Savarese put out. Williamson was a DNP completely, uh, didn't even come off the bench. In my opinion, he's one of their two or three best players. Um, there there may or may not be something to do with the, with the Thorn situation there. Uh, Blanco came off the bench in the last 20 minutes. Uh, unfortunately for the, for, for the Timbers, Diego Chara was pulled out of the game uh, or not pulled out of the game. He couldn't play. Uh, I think he w- was taken to the hospital with some sort of intestinal issue uh, the morning of or the day before. So that was a big miss, but they were they were really bad. And, and RSL came out and played pretty well um, and, and played with some different guys uh, than they have, they've been playing with. They brought off Bodie Hidalgo off the bench and he scored. Um, uh, Lofelson was on the bench in this one. They played with Cordova, uh, as a two-striker system with Rubio Rubin next to him, which was, you know, kind of a bold move from Mastroeni. So really kind of interesting how it played out. But I think in general terms, Portland came out really flat in this one. Um, and they really didn't have much uh, of anything for, for ourselves the whole game. Yeah, this this match, I'm kind of right there with you. It, it really seemed like, it was almost over about an hour before the game started when those lineups came out. Um, 
obviously really hope that uh um Diego Chara is feeling better. Uh, all all hopes go out to him. But uh, without that bite in the midfield of of him and Williamson, it's just really, really pretty easy to go ahead and get through there. And um, yeah, and then RSL did exactly what you would want them to. Uh, they just they're very, very good at making you work. And uh, then I just I absolutely love. I absolutely love uh, Pablo Ruiz just really commanding that midfield. I think he does such a good job and uh, supports both his defenders and then um, cutting out attacks. So I, I, I don't know how much uh, hope there is for uh, RSL in the playoffs, but um, between this and another game that we'll bring up, this does mean that the West will not go through Cascadia, which is, uh, another just incredible surprise here at the end of of the season. Yeah. And you mentioned Diego Chara, obviously, you know, hoping he's all right. Thoughts go out to him. I I do want to mention the Eric Williamson thing. Uh, There was a tweet. uh, Let me find it on Matt Doyle's Twitter. He retweeted it though. Just some, some crazy stuff with Eric Williamson that he was a DMP coach's decision quote from uh, Gio Savarese. Um, yeah, nevertheless, we missed him. Well, yeah, uh, a coach's decision on the last day to not play a player who is national team, uh, you know, quality. It, and they were getting cut up in the midfield. RSL was just playing right through, getting to the attacking third with ease. Yikes. You know, I, I think that just... Uh, this is a year to retool. Eric Williamson, by the way, on his Instagram had like he put up like a cryptic meme or something. So I, I think, like you mentioned, this was almost over before the game began because you clearly had this going on. The Char stuff was more public, and at the end of the day, RSL looked miles ahead in this game. There was only one winner, and it was clear after the first ten minutes or so which team was on the front foot pressing. At, with a crowd behind them and deserving of that playoff spot. If there's anything on Williamson that you guys want to touch on, you can go ahead and cut me off. But if that is all, is all that there is on this game, RSL, the 3-1 winners, um, they will move on to the playoffs as that seventh seed. Portland falls out for the, you know, it seems inconceivable that Portland and Seattle aren't in the playoffs, neither of them. And yet here we are where the American portion of Cascadia has no representation. And now, as we move on uh, to Minnesota's 2-0 win at home against Vancouver, the Canadian team will also not be in from Cascadia. No Cascadian teams in, like you mentioned, Matt, for the first time in maybe, what, the last 15 years or so? Because it's always been Portland or Seattle, and, and now none of those teams, Vancouver couldn't get the job done. And Minnesota is that other team in that winner go home game that is through. We've, you know, put them down at with much ease the last couple weeks because the recent results have been so ugly up to this point, losing five out of the last six. And yet when they needed to do it, needed to save their season on the last day at home, they get the job done really looked like the best team throughout this game. Start to finish two nil the final, uh, Goals from Fragapane and Jonathan Gonzalez. 
There's a little shout out there. Uh, Vancouver started to get a little more action in the second half, but at the end of the day, it was uh, you know too little, too late for the Caps. And Minnesota somehow, after you know, just an absolutely abysmal last month, is through to the playoffs. Matt, how did this one happen? And for Minnesota, is there anything to take forward from this game? Their first win in quite literally over a month's time. Yeah, I think that there were really two things that kind of set the tone for this match. Um, one was Vancouver was really poor uh, trying to build out of the back. I know uh, for Fragpane's goal to open it up, it's just some really, really poor play that there's a pass into, I, oh gosh, I think it was uh, maybe Dervinsky. I, I can't remember exactly now, but it's just turned over basically right at uh, middle of the attacking half for Minnesota. And there's just no pressure to the ball to go ahead and frag upon a just, he's going to finish like uh, most players in this league. And especially a player like frog upon if you don't put pressure on him, even if he's just a couple yards outside the box, he's going to put it past your keeper. Um, and then I think that, the thing that Minnesota did that was particularly smart in this match is that Ludd was pressuring Gold relentlessly. Uh, I I was trying to touch or uh, count the number of just clean touches that Gold got to the ball in the first half, and it was almost nothing because pretty much whenever he would pick up the ball, Ludd was no more than two steps behind him. And, just a really, really good job from Minnesota here to go ahead and contain. Um, Vancouver had one chance that uh, Brian White absolutely just about shattered the crossbar, but not not much uh, else as far as uh, attacking options. So I, I I wonder if Cavallini should have started this match to try and give them just a little bit pushover, but I think that they uh, wanted to have that second half fresh legs and... So it just doesn't work out for Vanny Sartini's side, and it's I, I'm bummed. I was really, really hoping for the Whitecaps to make it through, but uh, I think that if Reynoso gets hot, we know how good he can be in the playoffs. So we will see what Minnesota can pull off. Yeah, always love the underdog, always love the upset, and that's what it would have been for Vancouver to win this game. You know, on the road with you know Minnesota still. You know, even though they've been slumping, they still have Emmanuel Reynoso. They still have Fragapane, Amaria, right? They still have really, really solid players up top who can win you games. That's exactly what happened in this game. Andres, you know, it really looked like all that Vancouver was going to get is hoofing a long ball up to, you know, Brian White, hoping for a mistake in the Minnesota back line. That's really all there was in the first, really, half for Vancouver. Um, and Minnesota, to their credit, defended it well. How do you see this game play out? And do you think that there was anything that you know Vancouver could have done differently to maybe try and break down Minnesota? Or do you think on this day, it was just always going to be Minnesota who was going to advance to the playoffs? Um, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised at that that it didn't have more more of that interplay going forward. It's sort of been a hallmark of what they've been doing the last few weeks. Is you know having some good some good through balls coming from the midfield and, and getting in behind defenses. Um, and, you know, Pedro Vite especially has been really, really good um, the last few weeks, and, and they didn't really seem to have a whole lot of that. I'm not sure there's there's a lot. It seems like they just kind of ran out of ran out of gas here, and Minnesota at home 
it should be should be a good team, and I don't think they're as bad um, as they have been over the last few weeks. Defensively, there's definitely issues without Debassi. He clearly is a huge, a huge improvement or, or a huge uh, player for them. That's a big loss. Uh, but like you mentioned, the talent that they have in, in terms of Lod and Fragapane and of course Reynoso and Amarilla, uh, this is a team that shouldn't have been in the position that they were uh, to, to have to get a, a result at home to get into the playoffs. But there's a reason why I, I felt like this was the one uh, that was the most, the biggest long shot for the away team. Uh, I just think that Vancouver just probably doesn't have the high-end horses enough to kind of overcome a pretty good team on the road in a, in a win-or-die uh, kind of game. So I think overall for for, San, for Vanny Sartini, you heard him on Extra Time. He's talking about winning the Canadian Championships, already making this a, a pretty successful season. Getting into the playoffs were, was just kind of uh, solidifying that case. Uh, but, you know... Not enough, but overall pretty decent season. Yeah, you know, this is not, especially like if they don't have, if Minnesota missed the playoffs, right, obviously without a U.S. Open Cup, but, you know, if they missed the playoffs, you know, that would have been a much larger issue than Vancouver missing the playoffs, especially with the run they had to go on just to get to this position, right, where they could be in on the last day. Um, I, Yeah, just not, yeah. not... Uh, not amazing for Minnesota up to this point, but they will have a shot. They'll play Austin, but you know they will have a shot. That's a shot that Vancouver doesn't have because Minnesota, when they need to get the job done, did get the job done in front of the Wonder Wall. Matt, you want something more in this game? Yeah, and I, I did want to also note, like I, I think that had Minnesota lost this match, I don't think that Caleb Border would be alone today. Um, and so uh, good on on them for pulling it out. Um, the w- other thing that I did want to note from this match, uh, the Wonderwall had a really, really cool TIFO before the match, uh, dedicated to the broadcasters. And I think that that's something I just wanted to, uh, bring up obviously last home playoff or last home match for another round of teams, uh, means that it's the last time for those broadcasters. So, uh, just, you know, pour one out for, for your local broadcasters and, Hopefully we'll hear a lot of those voices too. But yeah, I just wanted to shout out the Wonderwall for a really, really cool piece for them. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously so sad to see all those broadcasters, you know, have to sign off not knowing if they're ever going to be able to call that team again. Just because with Apple, it is still very much up in the air which commentators are in, which are out. They can't keep everyone. Um, And that's, that's just that's the saddest part I think of this whole Apple deal is the local connections kind of being broken for the first time ever. Uh, MLS has never had the opportunity to go to a nation on this large of a scale on such a central provider. That's a good thing, but that means that a lot of these local connections forged years and years of the diehards watching every single game, you know, and the announcers being able to craft their style to kind of fit the fan base and kind of there being that symbiosis there. That's lost now and that's super sad to see you know in philly jp della camera banged the drum jp's a legend obviously you know does all the you know women's matches he's the number one for the women you know does the world cup for the men's side as well so you know he'll be fine danny higginbotham for the union as well those are my two guys obviously as a union fan but you know so many broadcasters around the league 
you know, it's it's really up in the air right now. And those, and those voices have been part of people's lives for years now. Right. So. Yeah, right. Like a lot of. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. I, it's just, yeah, like uh, hearing Nate Bucati and back then it was Matt Lawrence and now Jacob Peterson. And uh, yeah, so I, I am super confident that a lot of those folks are going to end up with this Apple deal and continue on in this league. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure we shouted them out because the, they do a really good job. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think that's absolutely crucial to touch on because, you know, when we get in the playoffs, we're not going to be remembering that. But all those announcers that have, you know, stuck through it thick and thin over the last couple of years, a lot of people, you know, their biggest hobby is watching their MLS team. And that means that it's those local broadcasters who have been such a big part of people's lives for years and years and years. You know, Dave Johnson in D.C., all 27 years or whatever that D.C.'s been in the league, he's been the commentator. And to see, you know, him have to sign off for the last time, the thoughts there must be you know it, it it's it must be hard to describe because you know that that's a light that's a lifetime that's that's a generation with some of these teams so yeah glad we got to touch on that um and yeah, Joey, uh, uh, just before we move on from this cuz i also want to just mention as somebody that watches the ESPN plus games pretty regularly you know even if those guys are on the apple broadcast it'll be a little strange you know Somebody like Steve Cangelosi uh, uh, and Shep Messing, you hear those two guys and you know you're watching Red Bulls. Or you hear Joe Tolleson and you, and you know you're watching NYC. Uh, and the local broadcast just kind of give their own flavor tied to the local community um, that I think we'll be, we'll be missing. I know I was critical of the Apple TV deal when it, when it came out. Um, and, and I see the positives, but I think that is something that we're going we're gonna to miss. Even, even not being in a local market, uh, having that different flavor of broadcast, knowing who you're watching, uh, especially if you watch this league regularly, I think it's something that we'll miss. Uh, and I think it's something that added to the broadcast because they were so tied into the teams that they had knowledge and stories that would never come out on an ESPN or an FS1 broadcast, but were quirky and interesting and something that, that added some flavor. So we're going to definitely miss that next year. That's all I've got. Yeah. I'll, I'll get off yeah, my yeah. walk now. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, lastly, you know, I, I read a, a tweet from Steve Zakawani uh, in Seattle. A lot of these local broadcasts gave another chance, a second career for a lot of MLS players, right? Who, you know, guys like Steve weren't going to be, you know, on like national broadcast or anything. But, you know, the local connection helped guys like that get it you know, another job in MLS, right? And that's something that I think is hard to quantify and something that I don't think is going to be able to be brought forward in the Apple deal. There's just not enough spots. But for a lot of these local broadcasts, giving people a chance to either get back into the league or get into the league in the first place, either a stepping stone or a place that, you know, these people could use to further their careers in the sport is just so crucial. And that that's another aspect of why, you know, it, it's sad that this is gone and we're not going to be able to hear these voices and see these people and, you know, have this kind of relationship with these teams anymore. It, it's disappointing, but, you know, there's always going to be another an, another way to watch the league and another way to consume information. And I'm sure that Apple is going to do a fine job and is going to hire very competent people. So 
we'll talk more when that gets out. But yeah, here's one uh, to the all the local broadcasters, all the production staff throughout the league who've worked tirelessly over the last you know ten, fifteen, twenty years to bring these local teams to the fans that we're willing to watch every single week. So yeah, glad we were able to touch on that. Uh, we can kind of, you know, transition now from the regular season, finishing up decision day, all that stuff. And I would be quite happy to transition into, you know, the playoffs. We're not going to probably talk again until the first round playoff matches are all said and done with. And so I think, because we have time here, we can run through uh, basically all the playoff matches that are going to be coming up this weekend, six matches. And I guess we can just start chronologically. So 12 PM this coming Saturday, it's the Red Bulls hosting Cincinnati, a game that we already kind of touched on a little bit. Andres, I do want to hear your expanded thoughts uh, on, on this game. How do you see this one playing out? You mentioned earlier that yeah, both the previous games against these teams have been chippy. How do you think these teams are going to approach this game knowing that that's been the case uh, and knowing, at least for the Red Bulls, that they will have that home field advantage, not been much of an advantage for them so far this season, but how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, I think I think Red Bulls will come out and, and press, um, and I think Cincinnati will probably be happy uh, to try to seed some of that position anyway. So... Uh, I think Red Bull will end up having a lot more of the ball than they probably even want to. Um, and and the idea there is that I think the the best shot that Cincinnati here has is to see possession, sit, sit back, and then hit them on a on a counter with the front three. Uh, it hasn't really worked out that way. Actually, their, their goals uh, have been a penalty, if I remember right, and a Miazga set piece. Um, but that's not really... Uh, I think something that you can count on. So in terms of a game plan, uh, that's kind of where I where I would see it. And the onus is on Red Bull uh, to to take that game. So I think if we were talking that this game was taking place uh, in Cincinnati, it'd be a little bit different. But I actually think the fact that Cincinnati is going going on the road might be uh, might be a help for them here. How, how do you guys think? How what do you see? Yeah, I'm just looking at a couple of. Um matchups that I think are going to really tell the story of this match. Uh, I think a big one for me is Brandon Vasquez and um, uh, Andres Reyes or uh, Carlos Reyes, Andres Reyes, Andres Reyes. Um, I think you're going to see those two really, really have a tough physical battle, both big young players who are very, very good at what they do. Um, And I think that will tell the story on the attacking side. And I think, I'm really interested to see if uh, Red Bulls continues to go with Edelman in the middle. Uh, I think that battle between Edelman and Amaya and uh, Noboto and Moreno could be really, really fun. Um, and I, I, I always struggle to say like, oh, it's everything's one in the midfield. But I think this match it might be more important than others if Cincinnati can be press resistant, if the Red Bulls can try and just run Cincinnati into the dirt. That's going to be something I'm looking for. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. I, I think we were talking, Andres, about it being physical. I think that physicality is exactly what Cincinnati needs to remove from this game. The more time that there is to be technical, on the ball, picking out passes, that favors Cincy in this game because they have those playmakers up top. 
I'm not going to say that, you know, Red Bulls are, you know, bereft of playmakers because they have quite a few. Lewis Morgan, right? Uh, Lequinas, uh, d- definitely players who can break a game. But I think in the way that Rebels want to play, it is pressing. It is physical. It is, you know, very defensively minded. If Cincinnati can kind of switch this game to be more of a, a more of a calculated attacking game and less of a, a, a kind of a rash physical game uh, that, you know, lends itself more to 50-50s, I think Cincinnati is favored in this game and by a decent margin, I think. I think if it, it does, you know, kind of go back to that, a, a slower, more physical game where, you know, it, it's it's more predictable in a way, then I will see uh, Red Bulls, I think, as more of the favorite in this game just because that is their style. And they are, you know, they kind of adapted to play that way. I, I think that the onus is on Cincinnati to kind of take it out of Red Bulls' comfort zone, make it more of their own. And I think if they do that, then they will win because, as we mentioned, you have three really quality attackers who are all producing at this point in time. Uh, it's just asking for one of them to be a game breaker. And we know that one of these guys, you don't even need three. As long as one hits in one of these games, you're going to be all right, especially against a Red Bulls team that really doesn't score and was one of the worst teams in the league at home this year. So maybe they want to be playing on the road uh, yeah. as we get into the playoffs. I mean, Red Bulls doesn't want the ball, right? Classic Right, and they don't want to have the ball. So if I'm Cincinnati, I'm seeding possession. I'm letting them have it, and then I'm trying to hit them with my front three on a counterattack. That's that's the way I'm approaching it. And, and if I'm Red Bull, I'm trying to figure out how not to get hit on that counter while still creating set piece opportunities for yourself in the in the attacking third. So it's it's going to be an interesting game tactically to see how it plays out, uh, to see who. Who has the ball in a game where I don't think either team wants it? Yeah. The more crazy that the game is, the more it favors the Rebels. The less crazy it is, the better chance since you have to pull one off on the road. I agree with that. I think that's a, I think that's a good take. Yeah. And, that, and by the way, ex- exactly what the Rebels want, by the way. That crazy game, like you mentioned, they, they want it to be uh, as crazy as possible because... They just seem to thrive in that kind of environment. Uh, if we remember last year versus the Union, it was just back and forth and back and forth. And the Red Bulls nearly pulled it out before Gleznis hit that crazy goal in the 123rd to win that one. So, yeah, a, a ton to watch for in this game. Contrasting styles, contrasting ways that they want to play this game. But the first game of the playoffs should be a banger because, you know, you, you throw those Cincinnati attackers in there. Red Bulls always have a little spice. It should be fun however it plays out. Uh, the second game of the weekend will be in the West. It will be Galaxy and Nashville in L.A. And I think the Galaxy are starting to find the form that they need to if they want to be successful in the playoffs. They've, they haven't lost in the last four. Three out of the four have been wins. They just beat the Dynamo in Houston 3-1 uh, on the last day uh, yesterday. Javier Hernandez, Chicharito getting a goal, Jovalich as well scoring. So I think for a Galaxy team that has been up and down throughout the course of the season, they're hitting the form that they need to hit uh, if they want to be successful. And so, Matt, I'll start with you in this one. What do you see in the Galaxy as they host Nashville? Do they have what it takes to beat a Nashville team that we know on their day with the defense that they have and with Hani Mutar, they can win this game? Who do you think uh, has the upper hand in this one? 
This one's a tough one to read for me. Uh, and I think a big part of that is the galaxy is really starting to have their um, summer and later on signings really start to click finally. Um, Ricky Pouge has been transformational in the way that that team plays. Um, and I, I, <laughs> he's certainly the best signing, but I, I really also like the balance that Brookman brings to that midfield. Um, so I, I, I like the galaxy midfield a lot better than I necessarily like Nashville's, um, Nashville might be lucky to have Dax McCarty after uh, what probably should have been a dog so red on the weekend. Um, but then, you know, then we started thinking about who are the game changers. And you cannot have a better game changer in this league than Hani Mukhtar. So I'm trying to go back and see just what the, the previous matchups have been. It's been... Uh, Galaxy won one in April and then a draw in Nashville in September. Um, I would give the edge right now probably to the Galaxy. And I think the biggest reason being Chicharito is clicking. And, you know, Mukhtar is huge. If you can deny him service, he can be neutralized. I I just think that between Puj being able to get the ball to Chicharito, between Brugman having a great time uh, recovering balls, turning over other teams, and then getting the ball up to non-scoring wingers and slash or Chicharito, I think that there's just a, a lot more ways that the Galaxy can win this. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm with you on that, Matt. In the last month, uh, Chicharito's played five games. He scored five goals. So finding his form at the right time down the home stretch. Andres, do you share our opinion that the Galaxy and Chicharito might have a little more in this one? Or do you think that Nashville can pull it out on the road? So every ounce of the pragmatist in me wants to say that Nashville is going to take care of business here on the road. Um, just because I think the Galaxy are still a pretty soft team. Um, I could see a scenario where Hani is slicing through Galaxy defenders uh, and scoring a, a brace. But I look at the previous matchups here, and, and Galaxy got a good road point uh, in Nashville where Chicharito missed a penalty, uh, if I recall right. Uh, he had a, They got a win at home against Nashville earlier in the season, and I agree with what Matt says about how much better their, their midfield is right now than they were at the beginning of the season. And they're on form. I think even even better than Nashville is right now. So I'm going with you guys. I think uh, going with the Galaxy here to to move on and setting up a El Trafico playoff match. Boy, that would be fun if that happens. Like that that is a a dream for another day, though. Um, yeah, I, I think the Galaxy have what it takes, and I think all of it, by the way, comes down to that form. It comes down to them pulling it together over the last month, doing what they need to do, uh, and not just solidifying a playoff spot, but getting a home game as well. We know that they have really good fans. Um, and obviously when your star strikers in form and you have a guy like Pooch who's been playing as well as he's been playing, it's hard to ignore. I, I love 
Nashville's D. I love it. It's always one of the best. I love Walker Zimmerman 100%. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Mutar is maybe the MVP this year. Him, Drew Zigaz, dog again. I throw them all in that conversation, but he's done everything and more for this team this year. I think it's just a little bit too much to ask him to do offensively. And I think the Galaxy have one or two goals in them from somewhere, probably from Pooja's Magic. And I think they get the job done at home for the first round. It's one of the tighter matchups. I'm not quite sure which, one to t- which way to take this because I think it's probably a one-goal affair either way. But I think it will swing the Galaxy in this one. Um, and Nashville might be a tad unfortunate uh, having to play this iteration of the Galaxy uh, in the form that they are in. Matt, do you have anything more in this game? Yeah, I just want to toss in one last uh, X factor, and that's goalkeeping. And Willis has been immense for Nashville uh, this season. He was even better last season. So if he can tap into that, um, he could be a big difference maker. And you just have to look back to decision day to show that. Uh, Nashville won. They went to LA, won at the bank. Um LAFC had four and a half expected goals. And Willis did not let a single one through. I there is if he can keep hot like this, and so much of goalkeeping is uh, you know, simple mechanics, a lot of it is confidence and just trusting yourself to make the dives, make the make the saves. I think that he could be a massive component on Nashville making a run deep. Super excited to see, you know, how this one could turn out. Because like you mentioned, Willis is an informed keeper. And informed keepers, when it comes to playoff time, it's a cliche. But they are the keeper, if you have an informed one, can make or break a playoff run, honestly. Uh, and, and we've seen it last year with Sean John and how good he was. Uh, we've seen it in, in the past, you know. Steve Clark was getting, you know, pretty hot last year with Portland. Helped them in the playoffs as well. All of that matters, um, and having an informed keeper is just massive. So if he's able to keep up, yeah, that form, which was just insane, especially last week, uh, boy, it, Nashville could be you know, destined for some pretty good things in these here playoffs because with that defense, with that goalkeeper, pretty tough to get past, even if you are Javier Chicharito Hernandez. So... That's that game, and that is uh, Saturday wrapped up. The Red Bulls hosting Cincy, the Galaxy hosting Nashville at 12-3 and on the East, respectively. We move to Sunday now. Austin taking on uh, the always. They love to be the underdogs, Real Salt Lake. Um, but this one might be a little bit much for RSL as they do travel to Austin. I Austin has been up and down recently. Definitely not the form that they started with. Um, not, not definitely not the form that they started with this season. But I think at the end of the day, the Austin team that has guys like Driusi and Fagundes has just enough in this game, uh, and will probably win. For me, Andres, how do you see this one? As we have the second seed taking on the seventh seed. Um, I'm not a. I'm not a sure. I think um, Arcel coming off a, a big win at home to get them in. Austin, like you said, uh, not playing as well. Um, 
RSL is not a team that really needs uh, to have the ball a whole lot, although they are better at home. We saw them advance against Seattle last year without a shot on goal. Uh, I'm, I think Austin definitely has a slight edge, but I'm not shocked if RSL pulls off another one. Um, we've seen it with them before. They they don't need to necessarily control a game in order to beat a team that's expected to be better than them. So I'm discounting them at my own peril. Um, but I think Austin's probably got the slight edge, but maybe not as clear-cut as we think. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Matt. I'll get to you in just a second. Uh, just for what it's worth, uh, earlier results this year at RSL, it was 2-1 RSL on May the 14th. And then on September the 14th, Austin at home beat RSL by three goals to nil. So uh, split results this season, though, uh, over the course of the two games, Austin seemed to be the more dominant of the sides. Matt, what do you have on this one? Yeah, I, I was looking at just the, the previous matchups, and it's been home wins. Um, and I think that uh, if we're also looking for another X factor here, I guess that's, the, you know, I, I'll have to put a payment into ABC or whoever that network is. Um, the X factor for me is that Austin environment is going to be electric. Like, there is no game that I would like to be at in person more than Austin in the playoffs. Um, and I think that they're flying, uh, to the best of my knowledge, they are still really healthy. Um, and X-Dog can only go so far. Uh, I, I just, I really think that the quality is going to shine through. I think that you're going to see Drew C have, uh, uh, after losing out on the MVP in all likelihood, I think he is going to come with a point to prove, and I think that that's going to be what carries Austin over in this match. As it pertains to RSL, uh, Aaron Herrera was out uh, this week, especially, and I think Bobby Wood was out, but I think Wood might be out more long-term. I'm not sure about that. Uh, I know Herrera, this was a a week-to-week thing. I think he, they pulled him uh, in the lead-up to this last game specifically. If he can, If he has any hope of getting back, he will be crucial because he's one of the best outside backs in the league. Without him, he he provides, you know, what little attack that they have off. I mean, and don't get me wrong, they can attack well as a team and with Savarino that's added to their attack. But him from the flanks is a, a different type of attack than what they're normally able to bring. Um, if he's able to threaten, you know, the outside backs of Austin going forward, that could be a game changer. If he's not back, I definitely see Austin as the stronger team in this one. And we shall see. We shall see. But I think Austin definitely have what it takes. Buoyed by the crowd, I think that they get the job done. Um, and I don't think that's a crazy prediction at all. Especially with, you know, maybe the league MVP on their team. <laughs> that that kind of helps as well. So that's all we have for Austin RSL 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. The uh, the nightcap, the 8 p.m. Eastern game, CF Montreal hosting Orlando City. We kind of touched on this earlier as well. Montreal, a very strong team at home, a very strong team just in general. I think that Montreal have more than enough in this game to get it done, especially with guys like Mihailovic and Kone in form. 
Matt, what say you uh, as the se- second seed in the East takes on the seventh seed? Yeah, I, I think that I'm going to be a, a broken record on this, and I'm going to take the home team. Um, and I, uh, to me, the biggest reason that I'm taking Montreal uh, might have more to do with Orlando and, in all likelihood, missing Robin Jansen, who really, really boys that back line. Uh, they'll get Antonio Carlos back from suspension, but... I still, I just don't think that they have the ability to really control the ball. And then after having seen them play against um, the crew, who in my, I'd have to check the numbers, but I believe have worse defensive numbers than uh, Montreal. I I just cannot see them trying to cut through that, that strong group of Waterman, of Johnston, of Miller. Like there's just a lot of, uh, of talent on that, um, Montreal back line and I you know I don't think that Georgie and Zellerian are one-to-one but like both really really uh, talented attacking players who can set up proven goal scorers in Romel Kyoto and Guy Kamara like this I, to ev- everything about this just looks like a home win for Montreal yeah another team that just built to almost perfection love Montreal love how they you know, just I love a team with a good game plan, I think, and they have a game plan, they have the players to implement it, and they have, like we said, game breakers in Kyoto and Mihailovic. And even Kai has been really finding form recently. He's been scoring. Uh, he's We always love when Kai scores. So you put all those things together. Montreal, second best team in the East, one of the best teams in the league. I think we'll get it done. Andres, what do you have in this game? I'm with you guys. Uh, out of the six, this is the one that I feel the most confident about. Uh, Stad Saputo's super tough to go to. Um, Montreal's the better team playing better. And if we go back 12 months, Orlando ended Montreal's season last year on decision day. I think Montreal ends Orlando's season this year, uh, first round of the playoffs. So I'm with you guys. I think Montreal takes this one. Yeah. I think that's probably the easiest one that we've had to talk about so far. Just not not because any of the other games, you know, were bad. Like they they had bad teams by any means, but Montreal, I think, is the is just so head and shoulders above most of the teams in this league. That makes a quite easy decision. I think they are much closer to what I would consider a a Philly and LAFC than you kind of one of those middle of the pack teams. I think they're that kind of good. Stay tuned. Um, Stay tuned next week when we preview Orlando's second round matchup with uh, NYC. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's MLS. Inter Miami. Or, yeah, or Inter Miami. <laughs> Man, just just watch it happen. Honestly, but um we can move to the Monday matches, the last two matches of the first round. 7 p.m. on the East, New York City hosting Inter Miami. Another game that we could easily get bitten by. Uh, a team like Inter Miami, who's more informed, though, but yet I still think that NYCFC stopped their free fall, have started to regain form, have won the last three in the league, wins over the Red Bulls, Orlando City, and Atlanta United in succession. And I think this is a team that, because of this recent form, has enough to at home beat uh, a team Inter Miami that you know has been playing better as of recently. But I think the talent of NYCFC up top is almost unmatched in this league and we'll get the job done. What do you have in this one, Andres? Yeah, I think if Miami was at home, uh, 
uh, my my answer would be different because they're they're just much better on at home than they are on the road, and it's undetermined where this game is going to be played, but it won't be Drive Pink Stadium. It looks like it might be City Field actually, um, but I think NYC is is stopped the bleeding or, or patched up the holes or whatever metaphor you want to use. They're they're playing better. They're not at their best, but they're definitely better. Um, now that Collins and Parks and all of them are, are back in. Uh, so I think I think they get it done. Miami's dangerous, though. They're an Iguain free kick or a Pozuelo through ball away from, from scoring on you. So uh, I don't think it's it's a cruise to victory type game. I think they'll be on edge, but I think NYC gets it done. Do any of you guys know uh, the severity of the Tyus Magno injury? That's what I was just looking up. Um, I can uh, let's see here. We're concerned. It's a foot injury for Tavon. It's a shoulder injury for Talis, and it looks like a calf injury for Alfredo. Um, so it looks like most recent update, uh, they do not know the severity at this point in time. They're giving the medical team space to kind of get all that figured out. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens there. We know how crucial a player he is if he's out. And obviously if guys like Gray and, um, and Alfredo are out as well, uh, hopefully they're all right. But if they are out, that you know adds another twist to this game. Matt, let's just assume for a second that th- those guys are back. How do you view this game uh, through the lens that yeah, Magno and Gray and Alfredo Morales are healthy? It's it's tough because it's a completely different answer for me whether they are or aren't. Um, if they're in, NYC straight favorites like they just on pure talent alone. Uh, and then, like, you know, Callens, Cheneau, and Martins can almost certainly contain a little bit of Iguain, especially without Pozuela, who I believe will still be injured for this match. Um, but you flip that switch, and particularly if Talos Magno is, is not in this match, I really question the cutting edge for, for NYCFC. Uh, Eber, he's... Ebert might be able to go ahead and lift them up to that level, but I just am not convinced to this point. Um, he had that really, really great run before his uh, knee injury, but I'm still, I'm still just a little bit concerned about that. And I think, I think this Inter Miami team might be able to do it if they can stay on the same page. They really, they shot themselves in the in their own foot on the weekend. So um, if they can get those errors out of the way. I think that this might be my upset match for the for the week. Yeah, I mean, if if Tyas and Tavon and all those guys are out, then yeah, hundred percent. I could hundred percent see Miami winning. If that's not the case, I think those guys bring so much um, to NYC that it's hard to see any other result, especially at NYC in whichever venue that they will be playing it at. If yeah, like it, I think it's very much a completely different matchup, like you mentioned. If those guys are out, but Here's hoping that everyone's healthy, and if that is the case, then yeah, NYC should be the clear favorites in this one. So I think that's basically all there is to touch on in that game, and hoping that Higuain is all right too, as he was subbed out uh, last game as well. Um, but you know, you, you want you want everyone to be healthy when it comes to playoff time, and allow these teams to kind of show themselves to be you know the the purest forms of themselves. But hoping everyone's all right and for a a clean game when it comes uh, to Monday's matchup between NYCFC 
and Inter Miami. And the last game, last game of what should be a pretty crazy opening weekend of playoffs in MLS is FC Dallas hosting Minnesota United 9:30 on the East on Monday night. For FC Dallas, it's a team that has, you know, been up and down towards the end of the season, but for the most part, it's been all right. Losing to Colorado uh, wasn't nice last weekend, 1-0 on the road uh, to a Colorado team that I think was already eliminated at that point. But uh, they came home against SKC, an SKC team that's been in form. All their attackers look good. A 2-1 win heading into the playoffs to give themselves... Uh, like give themselves a third seed and a home playoff game is absolutely crucial. And so at now as we head into the first round, they will play a Minnesota team that outside this last game has been in free fall. How do we see this? Uh, how, how do we see these teams lining up? For me, I, I guess I'll start it off uh, with Dallas's attack flourishing with Minnesota's D as, you know, unstable as we've seen it in recent weeks. I think Dallas really should have the upper hand in this one and should get the job done. Minnesota with uh, Reynoso and Fragapane and Almeria and all those guys up top have the firepower to light up any game against any team. But I think as long as um, Dallas stays defensively intact, their offense has what it needs to get the job done. And I think Dallas will win this upcoming Monday. But Matt, how do you see this game playing out? as we have the three seed in the West versus the number six seed. Yeah, this is the, the match that's probably the hardest to read for me. Um, the, the one thing I'll say, uh, so just looking at some stats on the season, um, both teams have scored 48 goals, but the edge goes to Dallas, who have only given up 37 um, versus Minnesota's 51. Looking at the the matchups it's really tight to, to be quite honest i think they're both very very top heavy teams even more so than maybe across a lot of the league um and i'm just i'm i'm really struggling i think really it all comes down to the play of lud and the play of legit and um determining or both those guys making the right decisions as far as the balance between attacking and defending and then um, really whether who's going to be able to clog up the channels before the ball gets out to those really, really talented wide attackers to go ahead and bring it into a hot striker. Like that's, that's really what is going to separate it for me. And I just, I cannot tell who has the edge in this one. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Um, I think it's a little more clear because I, I have just been so down in Minnesota's defense recently, though, to be fair, they have they did play pretty well against Vancouver and did stop Ryan White and Ryan Gold, who we know are very, very capable attackers. Andres, how do you see this one playing out? Especially as, you know, we, we mentioned it it very much is an if scenario. Like if Minnesota's D plays to the level that they played on the weekend, I think they have more of a shot. But, you know, it could be as tight as Matt's saying as well. Uh yeah, I think we saw this we saw this match recently, right? With uh with Dallas winning three nothing at Minnesota, uh, in in I think it was one of the first games after Debassy got hurt, uh, and and in that one, to be fair, the three goals happened in like three minutes, uh, so it's not like Dallas routed them throughout the whole match. But Minnesota didn't have a whole lot to show for during that during that one either, and they were at home. I think if you look at 
the the form that Minnesota's been on, uh, the form that Dallas has been on, the fact that it's in in uh, Toyota Stadium, and I think you look at Velasco, Ariola, and Ferreira up top, uh, with the impact that that Legit's had coming in, all signs for me point to Dallas uh, winning and moving on which just means that Reynoso will have a goal and an assist and Minnesota will go through probably. But <laughs> I was about to say, I, I just, I can't think back to the, the um, three, three uh, match against Seattle without like, and, and having that just keep on ringing in the back of my head when I think about Minnesota in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and Dallas has, has had some crazy ones against Seattle as well. I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, losing four, three with a, with a Jordan Morris hat trick. Oh, yeah. I think that was their last playoff game, if I if I remember right, or they, they might have been back in afterwards. Anyways, regardless, I think I think Dallas has the edge being at home and on form, uh, given the the Minnesota injuries, specifically Debassy. Uh, so they're going to be my pick. But another one where I'm not surprised if Minnesota comes in and gets a win. So that's I'll, let's go sixty four to Dallas. Yeah, again, like both of you gentlemen were saying. Wouldn't be surprised to see Minnesota turn up for this one because they have those stars, right? Anything can happen, right? We could be sitting here, uh, Andres, me and you eating our words, discussing a uh, a very different game to the one that we've envisioned. But at the same time, I think you have to trust what we saw, especially toward the latter stages of the season. Uh, of the season. And Dallas wasn't impeccable. They haven't been impeccable all season but definitely good enough to beat a Minnesota team that has been struggling recently. Though, you know, Sunday could be the, the game that Minnesota turned it around, and again, we could be having a very different conversation. The caveat, by the way, for all these games, right? Like, Orlando, like we said, could just beat Montreal, and all three of us could just be very wrong. That's the beauty of MLS. That's the beauty of what's gone on these last couple weeks as, you know, we've headed toward Decision Day. Decision day once again is coming on, and the playoff lineups are stacked. So super excited to see um, what we have coming up this week with those six games. Then we add in LAFC and Philadelphia the next week, and it just gets even more fun. So thank you two for joining me this week once again on what has been another pretty awesome pod as we've had to recap so much. Uh, with Decision Day, first round of the playoffs. And I just can't wait to do it again in, uh, next week as the playoff games are going to be Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So probably Tuesday, Wednesday, we should be able to get out a pod next week. And I will be looking forward to that immensely because we have some absolutely awesome matchups coming up this weekend in the league that we all love. But that's been another MLS regular season. And here we go uh, on what should be a crazy, crazy next couple weeks as we head towards the world cup so thank you all so much for listening and until next time enjoy life enjoy the beautiful game and we will see you then